Friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey again. I'm very eager to continue my discussion with Daryl Brazel. He has been a pastor for over 30 years, and Daryl has tons and tons of experience, like far more than most professionals in the field of sexual addiction, unwanted sexual behavior, and betrayal trauma. In fact, he goes so far back in this field that when I first started on my betrayal trauma journey in 2004, he was one of the first people I spoke to. And his knowledge, compassion, guidance, and understanding provided me with a level of relief, validation, and support that I can't even explain to you how much of a game changer it was. Daryl and I already released one podcast episode that was amazing, where he unpacked this concept of a secret sexual basement that a lot of people with unwanted sexual behavior have. Today, we're going to continue that discussion. And this episode is specifically as a source of encouragement, information, and guidance for people helpers, for people who are pastors, counselors, ministry leaders. And so if you missed the first episode and you want more, Daryl went into great depth about the secret sexual basement and its impact on the family system and its impact on the betrayed partner. To kick us off today, Daryl, would you briefly describe, for anybody who didn't listen to the other episode, what is this secret sexual basement that is based on the work of Dr. Omar Minwala? Yeah, the secret sexual basement, I'll I'll try to be brief. It's hard to be brief because it has so many nuances to it. But if you can, just picture, you know, if you're able to take a a street view of a house, picture a nice house, suburb, uh, picket fence, uh, two kids, a dog, a, a lovely wife, wonderful family. And if you could zoom in, you see them at the dinner table and everything seems, you know, like straight out of you know, Mayberry or someplace like that, and everything seems wonderful, you might notice the husband seems a little disconnected or distracted, but other than that, it seems like the perfect family. But then if you zoom back and are able to see, you know, you know, see ground penetrating radar view, you see that under the house, there's this secret basement that is the husband has built. And in that secret basement, he periodically disappears and goes down and he looks at pornography. He engages in masturbation. He may visit strip clubs or he might even do prostitutes or have sexual uh, encounters with others outside of his marriage. And no one in the family knows about the basement. And So there's these two realities going on. There's these two worlds. When he's upstairs, he's Mr. Wonderful. And when he's not, the family's wondering, where is he? Where's dad? And so they often ask questions. Dad, where were you? We've been missing you. Uh, And he makes excuses. He, He gaslights them. And gaslighting is the the reshaping of someone's reality. No, I've been here all the time. You're imagining things. Um, Because of the activity going on in the basement, there's often toxic fumes that are eking up through the floorboards and the carpet. And when the wife or someone asks about the stench, he just opens a window and says, yeah, I don't know what that is. Or he sprays some air freshener to cover it up. 
Or even worse, he just looks her in the eye and says, woman, you're crazy. You're imagining things. You're making mountains out of molehills. What's wrong with you? And so he turns it around on her. And as a result of that, she is forced into this incredible place of, do I trust my gut or do I trust my husband? And many, if not most wives in that place initially, they choose to trust their husband because after all, he's their primary attachment. And the thought of losing connection with him is terrifying. And so they ignore their gut and they lose more connection with themselves. And this can go on for weeks, months, years, decades. And then one day something happens and maybe the husband doesn't get the hatch closed good enough to the basement. And the wife discovers it when she's cleaning out a closet and she moves some carpet around and she goes, oh, what's this? And she sticks her head down and all of a sudden she gets a glimpse. You know, she's on his computer because something's not working right on hers. And she opens a screen and an automatic, you know, something pops open. And then she looks at the history and sees all these horrific names in the URLs or even more tragic, which some wives do. She goes down this path of clicking on them to see what it is. And she just gets an incredible, uh, you know, an incredible harm dumped on her as she experiences things and sees things that maybe she didn't even know existed before. Yeah. And that, unfortunately, is the reality of hundreds of thousands of wives in our churches right now. And unfortunately, for the most part, the church has been pretty quiet. I would say mostly silent. And that is a travesty that is not protecting the wives and the women and the daughters and the children, um, the sons also, because they're going to end up repeating these patterns. And one of my passions, one of my real frustrations is that in the church, we, we shy away from it and we only occasionally play lip service with it with an occasional sermon that basically says porn's bad, don't do it. Adultery's bad, don't do it. And we don't really dig into what's really happening to our people and the damage that's happening to them. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying, I'm sure, for pastors and ministry leaders to consider this truth that, that this many people have secret sexual basements and this many families are being impacted by this. It would be far easier for that to not be the case and not be true, but yet it is. And so let's say a man goes to his church leadership or just finds a random counselor, a Christian counselor out there and confesses his porn use. My experience has been the typical reaction is to be really grateful that he is being honest and confessing his porn use. Mm -hmm. um, and to assume that's all there is. Mm -hmm. 
right? And if the wife is super distraught and distressed by it to kind of blame her for like, why are you being so ridiculous about this? Like he's, Mm -hmm. he's sorry, like, let's move on and forgive him. Oh, she must be the problem. She's still stuck in resentment and anger. And while in reality, her gut has known for years, something was wrong. And she probably still in her gut thinks, I don't think this is it. I think there's more. Mm -hmm. And so the typical way that we handle these types of situations is to take at face value that what he has said is the truth. What can a pastor or a counselor or a ministry leader do instead, Daryl? Well, let me come at that from several directions. We could spend a whole hour on this. Maybe we will. But the first thing I want to do is, you know, let me speak especially to pastors here because I've been a pastor for over 30 years now. And I've also worked in this field for 22 years. And one thing I still find myself having to fight against is how drawn I am to offer, and and please understand, this is my role. When a man initially confesses to me, I do know that I am in a priestly role of hearing his confession and offering to him a reassurance of God's grace and forgiveness for him. That is our pastoral role. That is where it begins. Unfortunately, that's where it often ends. That it often ends with, okay, yes, let's, okay, Joe, thanks for sharing that. I know that was hard. That took a lot of guts. Thank you for doing that. And you've got to know that it's all covered by the blood of Jesus and you're forgiven and I don't see you any different and God doesn't see you any different. And all of that is critical. He needs that as a first step. But what's missing here is steps two, three through 97. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because in 22 years of working with men, working with couples in this arena, I may have had one, two, maybe at the most three men who came in and put 70% of more on the table to begin with. The other vast majority, 97, 99% of men in their initial confessions have confessed to the tip of the iceberg. And I've had men in absolute sobbing, tearful, They seem to be incredibly broken. And yet, until they do the work of digging into their story, digging into their inventory, they are not not psychologically capable of putting it all on the table. Um, again, one of, I'll give Dr. Manwala credit for this too. One of the statements he's made numerous times in our training that's really been impactful to me is he's made the statement that he says, one of the hardest things for the human psyche is to honestly face the damage he's done to someone he cares about. 
Yeah. And, and I can speak to that personally. You know, I've been sober for 22 years. And so you might think, oh, well, it'd be easy for us to look back at, you know, 25 years ago and for me to just own everything. And yet what I will tell you is that even now, even with all the work we've done, I have to pray. I have to muster all the strength I have when my wife shares something that was hurtful to her for to prevent my toxic shame to come flooding to the surface and want to defend, want to put up a wall of protection that says, well, I wasn't that bad. I didn't do that much. I didn't do, and, you know, especially in the field I work in with as many sexual history inventories I've done with men, you know, I've got a whole long list of think people who've done, quote, worse than me. And yet the reality is what I did and what I didn't do was incredibly impactful and painful to my wife. And facing that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And so I want to offer to pastors and counselors just a reminder that says, you know, that is what the human psyche is like. And so because of that, we just need to be prepared. Yes, we offer them grace. Yes, we are compassionate to them. But the real compassion to them also calls them and says, okay, let's go deeper. Let's see how deep this rabbit hole really goes. Okay, so how does a counselor or a pastor do that? Like after that initial confession, obviously, like for a licensed counselor, I'm sorry, for a pastor, it's not their job to completely like usually it's not their job to completely bring a man through a restoration process or the wife through a restoration process. So rather than um, just assuming everything's on the table, there should be an assumption that that's probably the tip of the iceberg and that a, a licensed counselor or coach who is trained in problematic sexual behavior and or betrayal trauma needs to take it from there. And that this person does need a recovery group and professional support to continue to work through the reality. But often, um, you know, it, we want to just not even assume there's a sexual, secret sexual basement. And so we just send them on their way. So what would you say about that, Daryl, is like besides, uh, besides referring to a counselor with training in this area, and most counselors do not have training, most professional licensed counselors do not have training in problematic sexual behavior and sexual betrayal. And I know that's crazy for some people to hear that, but it's true. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but you have to find somebody who has gone to specialized training in this area and we can help you with that. So reach out to us, you know, at Living Truth. Um, Daryl could help you with that. I'll give you guys his, his information also, but don't assume you can just send them to any random licensed counselor because what, what ends up happening and in pastor's offices, ministry leaders' offices, and many counselors' offices is we assume, oh, this is a marriage issue. This is a 50-50, like if he's looking at porn, what is she doing to contribute to that? And we automatically assume anything sexual must be a marriage issue, which is completely false. When we operate under that assumption, what do we end up doing to that betrayed partner, Daryl? 
Well, again, I'll use the same analogy I used in the previous episode we did together, and that is the triage analogy. Yeah. Is what that does is that takes someone with a broken arm and puts them in the same priority of treatment as someone with a cut carotid artery. Yeah. Because, and and here's what's really hard for pastors. And let me just share this, you know, I'll just share this with you. Many of our men, you know, um, men who struggle with pornography, sexual addiction, those sort of behaviors, um, they don't look like your tip, you know, what is typically defined as addicts. I've worked with many men who externally are, they're good leaders. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, part of the secret basement is the compartmentalization. And so when they're not in their basement, when they've got their, their pastor hat on or their deacon hat on or their lawyer hat on or their doctor hat on, they, they play the part really well. And they're very often very likable. And so one of the things that I have to really fight about, fight against within myself, is liking my guys too much. And what I mean by that is that I like them and I don't want them to struggle and I don't want it to be hard for them. And what I have to step back and remember, especially in a pastoral role, in a pastoral role, we have to remember that our job is to protect all the sheep, not just the sheep that's in front of us. And the, the, the husband that's in front of you, yes, he is, a sheep, he is a lamb that needs cared for. But we also need to recognize that he's also likely been a wolf who has been doing incredible damage to another lamb, his wife, who oftentimes is in the background and we don't even recognize that she's, you know, a hundred yards behind him bleeding out in the field. And so because of that, we have to step back and really ask the hard questions and, and ask, you know, the, the, one of the, one of the questions I constantly ask my guys, I put it in our check-in groups and I, and I constantly bring this up is the question, are you clean with your wife? And if there is any him hawing at all about that, that's where I press in. Now, I need to make a huge disclaimer here. Because especially in that pastoral role, if a man comes in and confesses to pornography or some sort of sexual acting out behaviors, do not send him home to tell his wife about all his struggles right then. Thank you for saying that, Daryl. <laughs> that it really, there really has to be a disclosure process that once again is facilitated, guided by professionals. But but here's something I do tell my guys all the time in that regard. I say, no, you are not ready and she is not ready, but do not go home and sleep with her again until you get this ball rolling. Because what you do by sleeping with her when you have this outstanding is you are violating her consent. 
Because when you sleep with her and she thinks you are this person, when reality you are this person, when she thinks you are the one that she sees every day above in the upper floors and she doesn't know about the basement, then one day she's going to wake up and realize, wait, I was not sleeping with who I thought I was sleeping. I did not know this person. And so for you to come clean to me today and then feel better because you're going to feel better because you've just unloaded this weight and you probably will be able to go home and connect better than you have in a while. But if you use that ability to connect better to end up in the bedroom and sleeping with her, you're going to inflict more trauma. Yeah, and possibly put her life at risk because a lot of these men that look so upstanding in our churches it's not just pornography. Pornography is the gateway, but it has led them down a path of acting out sexually with other people, oftentimes. Oftentimes. I cannot tell you how many wives have found out that, you know, maybe they knew a little, they knew or their husband looked at pornography a little bit. They knew just a tiny tip of the iceberg. And then he's come home and said, um, I have an STD. You need to go get tested. Yeah. Or how many wives in the disclosure process have found out that, oh, crap, this was so much more than I thought it was. And so, again, going back, especially to that pastor in his office, I don't care how good of a friend you are to this individual, how much you think of him. It's critical that you put that aside and ask the really hard questions and send him to someone who has the training to ask the hard questions. And, and I, and again, I'm, I'm telling you up front how difficult that is. I've been doing this for 22 years and I still have to fight myself to not get sucked into how much I like my guys. And remember that liking my guys and caring for my guys that part of that is asking the hard questions. But we also because I think we also have to assume that just because we're asking the hard questions doesn't mean he's going to be forthcoming. Absolutely. So let's not assume that what he's saying is 100% the truth. I know my husband said he used to, when people used to say, do you struggle with porn before he was in recovery? He would say, no, no, I, I don't. Because he had quit yesterday. And so he, you know, that was his way of minimizing. And, and he thought he was being truthful because he really believed I'm done. Like I've, I'm never going to do that again, which was a lie. We call that denial of momentary reality. Yes. And it's very common. I cannot tell you, common. you know, I think of one youth pastor I had lunch with many, many years ago, back in the early days. And I, he was new to town. So I told him my story. And he was like, oh, wow, wow, yeah, I, I used to struggle with that, too. And I started pressing him, okay, what do you mean used to? And, and it was literally like two days ago was yeah. the last time, but he was done now, so he right. was okay. Uh-huh. And, and that is the thinking, that is part of the addictive mindset, that is part of the distortion that takes place in the brain and it's especially, and, and just a side note here for pastors, especially the greater the position 
that an individual has, especially in the church, the more difficult it's going to be for him to get truly honest. Mm. So especially when a fellow pastor comes to you and says, I've been struggling. Mm -hmm. I will tell you in 22 years of doing this, I have yet to work directly with a pastor where that rabbit hole wasn't incredibly deeper than it was first presented. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because it's that compartmentalization package again. So for example, in my own story, um, you, you have to, you have to really learn how to wear the different hats. You know, I was a, I was in ministry struggling during the week. And by Friday I had to find a way to clean up, repent, change hats and Sunday morning, stand up in front of people and preach the Holy Word of God. And that, that, that destroyed me. And that, that, that contradiction is a huge part of what led me to seek help is I could not, I couldn't maintain that distinction. But, but in that, but at whatever level level I was able to maintain that distinction was because of how skilled I became at compartmentalization. And so when a pastor or a church leader or someone with high influence, high respect in the Christian community says, yeah, I've been looking at a little porn. You can pretty well guarantee that a little porn is not a little porn. It is a lot of porn. It is probably, it very likely also goes to other behaviors outside of pornography. And so one of the reasons that, um, and I don't know how far we want to go off on this trail, but it's also one of the reasons why many men have gotten poor counsel when they've gone to pastors is because many times they've gone to pastors who have their own secret basement. So challenging their member about their own secret basement risks shining light on the whole secret basement principle. Right. Yeah. So one word I'd like to say to listeners who are not in ministry or pastor pastors or, or counselors is if this is happening in your marriage or say you're a pastor's wife listening to this or a ministry wife, my encouragement to you is don't go to your pastor to get help with this. A lot of people think we need to go to our pastor to get some counseling and help, but not only do you have no idea where he stands with this. And for that matter, you know, there are therapists that I have referred people to that I know have were were acting out sexually the whole time I was referring. So not it's not that a counselor is free from this problem either. I'm sorry, I'm making this sound really hopeless, aren't I? But it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Come to us, contact Daryl. We would love to help you find the right kind of help, but don't assume that the person you think you should go to is the one that's going to be equipped to help you. Yeah. And so circling back to a pastor or a therapist who has yeah. someone comes in with this, 
one of the things that you cannot do is is add to the wife's mistrust of her own gut. Questions like, well, are you sure that this is going on? Or could you, you know, are you maybe making this out to be bigger than it is? Or going straight to how often are you having sex with your husband? Yeah, let's don't even go there. Yeah, I know that that shouldn't even be a question. Pornography is completely separate from the marital relationship. (laughs) Yeah. I think we do need to do another episode, which we'll need to schedule in the, in the future, because we have so much more we could talk about Daryl, but for now, I'd love to just wrap up with what, if a pastor, a ministry leader, or, um, you know, any kind of people helper, and they want to help people that come to them with, with these kinds of behaviors, what can they do besides referring out to a therapist or a coach that's trained in sexual addiction and betrayal trauma what else can they do to support a couple that comes forth with just a little bit of information? I think the biggest thing is get ready to dig in and get ready and support. I think one of the biggest things is support the wife in her drawing a line that says, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Just a real quick generality, but it's more than a generality. Um, I began my own journey of recovery because I was I couldn't I couldn't handle the duplicity. I couldn't handle that that tension of being a quote man of God and being in the gutter. Mm-hmm. And it tore me up. And I said, God, I'll do whatever it takes to get out. And so when I first started my groups, I fully expected to be run over. I fully expected to have more people, more men that I could handle. I was, I, I put out my first notice kind of reluctantly of, okay, let's get prepared for this onslaught because I was the guy who for years was looking for a way out. I was, I would have jumped on anyone who offered any hope. So I assume that's where everyone else was. In 22 years of doing this, I will say maybe one man out of 20, maybe one out of 50 comes to me that way. The rest come when the wife says, get help or get out. The rest come when they've been fired at work, when they've gotten an STD, when the world is crashing on them. And I cannot tell you how many of them would have come much sooner if pastoral intervention had not happened wrongly. I cannot tell you how many men have been to their pastor, told them what they were struggling with, and their pastor told them, well, whatever you do, don't tell your wife. Whatever you do, let's just handle this and you move on and don't do it anymore. And so they try to. But guess what, folks? If you are still lying in your most intimate primary attachment, how are you going to suddenly become a man of integrity? 
And so one of the most critical things that we have to do is to help a man understand that there is no real transformation without full transparency and really getting to the core of things. And what we have to help wives to understand is you are not being unsubmissive. You are not being the B word for digging your heels in and saying either he gets help or he's not welcome in my house. And he's certainly not welcome in my bedroom because I'm not sharing my bed with porn stars. Those are not wives being bad wives. Those are wives using godly anger that says, I want to fight for my marriage and my family and my home, and I need you as my counselor, as my pastor, as my church to support me in that fight, because this church is supposed to be about families and honoring God in our families and in our lives. Will you support me in that? Mm. I've never heard a wife say that because she's not able to. Yeah. But that's what the cry of their heart is when they come to you and they come with their husband and they say, he's, I know he's looking, I think he's looking at porn. I've seen some signs and I'm dying inside and I don't know what to do with it. And don't be surprised if that wife comes looking crazy, like hysterical, because her entire nervous system is lit up absolutely with the terror of what she's experiencing in her marriage. I looked crazy when I was going through this. I didn't recognize myself. And so then when you see that in your office, you might assume like, well, something's wrong with her. Well, maybe something's wrong with her because she's traumatized by what she's going through in her marriage. So don't assume that because this wife seems kind of out of control or hysterical that she is the problem. Yeah. Because in fact, she is traumatized. We must believe her. I tell people one thing you can do for a wife that has had sexual secrets erupt in her marriage is um, go to her and say, what can I do to help? And then give specific options. Can I bring you meals? Can I help take care of your kids? Can I help pay for counseling? Can I... Um, come and clean your house for you? Can I just sit and listen to you? Can I bring you tissues and hold you while you cry? Really specific things that we can do. I believe that in many ways, especially once the depth of the truth is, is discovered, we need to treat this woman like we would treat a widow. Because in many ways, she has been widowed. The man she thought she was married to is not really him. In fact, he may be an abusive monster once his, once his secrets are uncovered. And so we need to treat her either like a widow and or like an abuse victim, like a domestic violence victim, because in many ways, this is abuse. And we have got to stop shaming wives and we've got to start supporting them. Yeah. We see the pictures coming out of Ukraine right now. Yeah. Those, those are the real, that, that's the kind of picture that really paints what happens for a wife when it all comes out. Yes. And as pastors, we have got to do a better job of seeing that damage and stepping in and saying, okay, 
How do I help? And yes, it is helpful to point the husband and help the husband with counseling and those sort of things. But we can't forget that the wife, you know, and and this is part of where, you know, some of the man box stuff plays in that, that as men, I don't think, I don't think a man, and I think this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, because of a woman's desire being for her husband and her family, that desire goes so deep and is so core to who woman is that as men, I don't know that we are biologically, neurologically capable of understanding the depth of the pain and the despair that comes in when a wife wakes up and says, my whole marriage is not what I thought it was. And as churches, as pastors, we, we've got to do a better job with that because we have literally, I would say half of our congregations, but most churches are much more than half female. We have more than half of, you know, we have half of our congregations who are just dying and for those pastors who are still trying to be in denial and say, well, you know, not that, not many of my men struggle that way. Look up, go to provenmen.com, look at their statistics. That's the best stuff that I've seen on the church, church statistics. And you will be shocked to see how many men in your congregation have looked at porn in this last week. Yeah. And if they've looked at porn in the last week, and are denying that to their wife, are pretending it hasn't happened, they have a secret basement. Yeah. And that secret basement is doing incredibly more damage than you realize, than she realizes. Mm -hmm. And it's time to start blowing up some basements. That's right. It's, it is time to start blowing up some basements and this is messy work folks. So if you're a pastor or ministry leader, you're listening to this and you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't even want to go there. I don't even know what to do next. Please reach out to Daryl, reach out to us. We would love to come alongside you and think through a plan of how to better care for and love the people that we are counseling, that we are leading in our congregations. Daryl, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to open up this topic. I am looking forward to future episodes with you. We are so grateful for your expertise, your wisdom, your gentleness, but also your truth. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Well, thanks, Kristen. I've enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to more.